0: Thank mm-hmm. you. What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business. I'm your host Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book, third edition coming this January. So, today's episode, uh, I don't have a guest. This is actually a replay of a webinar that I gave uh, just a couple weeks ago called What the Touring Landscape Looks Like Post-Pandemic. If you attended this live, uh, I spent a bunch of time at the end asking questions. I kind of cut that out of this one because we went for about an hour just answering questions which reminds me if you want to attend future uh webinars like this or or any events that i'm doing make sure you're on the email list Uh, that's where i send out all the information about these so you can attend all the events that i do it's just go to ari's get on that email list but today's episode um this uh this webinar that i gave what we cover is well the current state of the touring landscape uh, both the macro touring industry and the micro that means both what the Polestar numbers are, what those big, big numbers are, what the, you know, the big touring industry, what the dollars look like, uh, mostly of the the giant tours, but also what you care about, I'm assuming, because like what I care about is what is the club industry looking like right now? What does the small to mid-level touring industry look like? And I think the I think the results are gonna surprise you. I interviewed a bunch of talent buyers, club owners, uh, booking agents, promoters, that kind of stuff to get the information. I uh, read a lot of their quotes, uh some wanted to remain anonymous some are uh, public and you'll know you know some of these clubs and some of these these agents but we also get into the current club deals what the current club deals for small to mid-sized venues are looking like we get into uh, how to get opening slots for touring artists we talk about how to know when you're ready for a booking agent and how to find a booking agent and I dig into the seven steps to sell out your next show we packed Info into this webinar, so I would encourage you. Maybe this is a time to get out that notebook and a pen and and take some notes on this. Um, I do a, I do a few webinars a year. Usually they're they're private. We don't really um, put them on you know the podcast or YouTube or anything like that afterwards. But this one was. Um, i we got a lot of great feedback on this one and people were asking for the replay and the replays don't typically last very long so uh here it is i hope you enjoy it um as always you can find all of us that make the show happen at ari's take on instagram and tiktok pause this if you're enjoying the show and click that follow subscribe or like button leave us a five-star review on spotify and apple Podcasts; those really help all right let's kick into the show Let's talk about the state of the 2022 music industry. Now, you may have seen these numbers. These are published by Polestar. This was the um, the top 100 tours. So, you know, the arenas out there, uh, the, the giant theaters and arenas, uh, the tours that we're talking about. Now, if you just look at those numbers, uh, look at this. We are, we have far surpassed the 2019 numbers. If you were to just look at the top 100 tours, you'd be like, Wow, we're back, baby, with a vengeance. And everyone is clamoring for the shows and you can't bust down the, the live music venue doors fast enough. Well, these numbers are a little misleading. Um, ticket prices have gone up at giant shows. Uh, these are not scalper prices. These are face value prices. Um, and the average gross of, uh, per concert has gone way up. Look at that, almost $200,000 more per show these top 100 tours are making. All right, let's keep this going here. So uh, top 100 tours again, ticket, just ticket numbers have also increased, not just sales, not just gross revenue, actual number of tickets per show sold. Now, as you see this, it's average of 8,000 tickets. These are the kind of tours we're talking about right now. I'm assuming the majority of the people here today are not playing 8,000 cap rooms. Don't worry we're going to get to the t- the small to mid-sized clubs in a second, but this is the kind of stuff that the industry is talking about. And so, you know, the, another reason why I'm doing this webinar today is because I imagine that most people here don't care about these numbers. I don't fucking care about these numbers. Why would any of us care about how, how well Harry Styles is doing? He's doing amazing. He sells out Madison square garden and every sweet. I, I love Harry Styles. Don't get me wrong. But like, That doesn't help us. (laughs) That doesn't help the small to mid-sized music venues. That doesn't help the the touring artists. That doesn't help the indie artists who's trying to get 300 people out to the show. But we're all part of the music industry. We are collectively part of the music industry. So we need to understand top to bottom. Now, Polestar and Billboard and Rolling Stone and Pitchfork, and they all obsess over these big, big numbers and like, look at the industry numbers. It's like, that's cool. I look at these numbers too. Cool. So uh, let's just get caught up on these numbers, and uh, that's, that's you know, helpful. Okay, so let's keep this going. Let me pull up my second slideshow here. This episode is brought to you by Bandzoogle. From garage bands to Grammy winners, Bandzoogle powers the websites for tens of thousands of musicians around the world. I can tell you firsthand, Banzoogle is awesome. I've been using them for years. I've built many, many websites on Banzoogle. It's super simple. You don't need any coding knowledge, graphic design knowledge. I'm actually a really terrible graphic design artist. I'd like to think I'm okay, I'm decent. I have Photoshop and you know, I've designed my fair share of show posters over the years. I should not have. I'm not a good graphic design artist. I know my strengths and weaknesses, anyway. Banzoogle, you don't need any of that. You can be a horrible graphic design artist like me. You don't need any coding knowledge. I know very, very, very basic HTML that I learned about 15 years ago. I can still design kick-ass websites on Banzoogle. They also have a bunch of other cool features like a way to create an EPK. You can host and create your custom domain name. There's tools to sell your music and merch it's all com- commission free. There's a mailing list, there's social media integrations, they have a crowdfunding feature which is very new and very cool. They have a subscription service kind of like Patreon. Also, all commission free. If you want to try out Bandzoogle, you can go to bandzoogle.com. Use the code ARI. That's just ARI, my name, ARI for 15% off the first year of any subscription, but you get a 30-day free trial to just give it a go. Try it out. All right, so how are small to mid-size venues doing? I think that's what we all really care about. Um, okay, oh, and Lauren, no, overall ticket sales uh, are up. So if you missed that last slide, everything, uh, those numbers, let me let me actually go back to that just to, let me just cover this, button this guy up, and then we will be finished here. Um, so let me just get back to that slide because I want to show you just so, and if you want, um, I'm gonna send everyone a replay of this. So if you missed this or you blink or you had to take a bathroom break or something, don't worry. Um, so, uh, yes, sorry. Overall ticket, you're right. Overall tickets sold are slightly down. Um, now the year's not quite over yet. So I'm assuming by the end of the year, that number will probably surpass 2019. Uh, the average tickets sold per show are up. So once the year finishes, now, mind you, this was published, um, I want to say just a couple weeks ago. So you know uh these numbers by the end of the year 2022 i'm assuming every number is going to be up just like because average tickets and and there's more shows happening now than ever okay so let's move on all right so um i have interviewed a a bunch of people who work in the small to mid-sized venue space from talent buyers club owners booking agents, promoters. Um, I'm going to share just a tiny sample of the responses that I got that kind of give an overview of this. I know some talent buyers, uh, agents might be here today watching this. That's awesome. Um, so here we go. Maybe you, you listen to my podcast episode with um, Jordan Anderson, who is the talent buyer, the booker for the Troubadour. Uh, she said... We're still not back to being as busy as we were before the pandemic. People aren't drinking like they used to or staying out as late. And this is like me asking them, you know, where are we at right now? Where is everything kind of at the end of 2022? How are we post-pandemic? I also interviewed Paul Bacher on the New Music Business podcast. Uh, He told me, so artist sales are down. The numbers are probably not where they used to be pre-pandemic still. It's hard to justify paying the same amount of money when you know the show's not going to perform as well. And that's from the buyer's standpoint, the talent buyer. He's not talking about the fan. So, um, you know, he books the Brooklyn Bowl, uh, 900 capacity, both for Philly and New York. And that was uh, what he had to say about it. Uh, Dana Frank. So Dana is the CEO of First Avenue Productions. It's a promotions company out of the Twin Cities. They run a bunch of venues in the Twin Cities, uh, ranging in capacity from uh, like 250 to 2,500. But she's also the president of National Independent Venue Association, NEVA. Many of you might know about NEVA. They were the organization that was started during the pandemic to help Save Our Stages was their act. And they actually secured through Congress the Save Our Stages Act, which got um, a lot of the music venues, helped them stay afloat and got them um, uh, checks and essentially money to stay in business, make it through the pandemic, because obviously the live entertainment industry was hit the hardest of any industry, I would argue, uh, in the world. Uh, it's a tough party to come in because on one hand, we're all happy and celebrating and we're excited. But on the other hand, there's so much more to do. And the pain is very real. It's not recovered. We're far from it. Um, Adam from the Poorhouse in Raleigh, North Carolina, 289 capacity. He's the talent buyer and the owner. He said a large majority of pre-sales these days are coming in week of the day before and actually day of the show. Anyone who has any sort of stake in crowds showing up to a show knows how stressful that is. I do worry about the lack of other clubs dedicated to live music post-COVID in Raleigh. We lost a good number of venues and are now lacking the necessary capacity to accommodate local and touring artists. My booking calendar is regularly getting 7 to 10 plus holds deep. So at the end of the day, I'm having to turn away a lot of artists that are essentially waiting in line to get a date. That's not good for bands and it's not good for the scene. Steven Chilton, he is also on the, uh, the Neva board. He's a talent buyer and promoter. I've done a few shows with him actually in Phoenix. Walk Up is all but gone on everything but local shows. No show rates are no show rates. That means like when people don't show up, are horrible when the show has been postponed or moved a few times. Or announced crazy far in advance. But shows announced recently on a more normal timeline are having totally normal rates of no-shows. I think there always was a reason why we didn't announce club shows too far out. And that is just reaffirmed since. There are so many tours right on top of each other because of the pause in touring. Once these start to get spaced out a bit more, it will alleviate some of that pressure. I also think a huge problem for the club is how many A-list acts are on the road, and they are all really pushing ticket prices, like we saw in the in the in the macro graphs. If you are paying five hundred dollars a ticket to see Bad Bunny or Taylor Swift or Ghost, it is hard to see any club shows. I think people are watching what they are spending; they want to go to the huge can't miss shows that just doesn't ha- leave a lot of room for other less expensive events for most fans things are starting to come into perspective and clarity here Uh, a seattle area talent buyer who wanted to remain anonymous for this uh his venues or i should say their venues range from 200 to 650 attendance rates have improved slightly since we reopened but we're still seeing no show percentages upwards of 30 percent on some shows no shows are people that bought tickets but don't actually show up now Pause before I keep reading. Um, why, do you, why do you care about no-shows if they bought tickets? Well, the artist still makes that ticket price. And if you have a split with the, the venue or the promoter, sure, you're making the ticket price. But remember, venues make the vast majority of their money on the bar. So if you don't have 30% of your audience that you're expecting buying drinks, the venue is hurting. You need people to actually be in the room to buy drinks. The ticket price is mostly, by and large, going to the artist. That's why the venue needs people in the room to buy drinks. So that's why they keep hitting the no-show rate and why that matters. I feel that the smaller venues are being hit harder by no-shows because it's a more casual experience to see a smaller artist than someone you've spent a ton of money to go see. Walk-up day of sales are definitely slower than they were pre-pandemic, I think folks are still not used to the night lifestyles they had back before 2020 shows are starting ending earlier because everyone had a year plus where they weren't staying out past midnight. It's hard to expect folks to adopt late that late night schedule. Like they used to Ryan from uh, he's the uh, entertainment director for slow brew in San Luis Obispo, California 500 capacity room. We are On the flip side, we are breaking ticket sales, record highs heading into the fall. There is a revived energy that wasn't there in 2019. Our walk-ups have suffered a bit, and we are seeing a decline in no-shows. We were averaging around 15 to 20% no-show, and now we are down to 10%. That's good. People are showing up. No-show rate is down percentage. I think one of the biggest and most powerful things that came out of COVID was the creation of NEVA. That's the, like I talked about, National Independent Venue Association. And I'm so grateful that we have that organization now this is the advocacy organization advocating on behalf of independent music venues. I have some good friends working hard over there and they're doing amazing things in our industry. Thank you, Neva. All right. This is from a Los Angeles club owner, talent buyer. They also asked to remain anonymous. Flip side, attendance rates are much worse now. Tickets are not selling as far in advance. This is a common theme I'm seeing. Crowds don't want to To commit, it feels like attendance is still probably down 30 to 35 percent from pre-COVID levels, which is an improvement from earlier this year. It seems artists that are doing underplays are doing fairly well. That means artists that are playing rooms smaller than their typical draw. uh, So maybe they normally could play a, a 2000 cap theater and they're choosing to play a 500 cap venue. That's called an underplay. But the developing newer artists and music discovery we have been known for is way down in attendance. Fans, bands, management all feel like they're committing less, many more cancellations than we have ever had. Some because of illness, but many for no reason given. Agents I've spoken to have said it's industry wide and they're perplexed as to why. Artists are canceling last minute, maybe because of light ticket sales and or tours canceling, maybe because they test positive for COVID or have a family emergency, but there are definitely more. It feels like there has been a shift in what people want to do when they go out. Being locked up for two years with the COVID restrictions made people crave social contact. Most small concerts and listening room experiences are people watching and listening to the stage and not interacting with each other. Bars and clubs and other places where social interaction happens are doing quite well. Listening rooms and small venues, not so much. All right. So now some booking agents, what they have to say, they're kind of looking, um, you know, they book a bunch of artists at a bunch of different clubs. So those are a smattering of clubs all over the U.S., uh, small, small clubs. Um, All right. This booking agent primarily books 100 to 1,000 cap rooms. And they said a lot of the promotions companies have been sheltered from going out of business by becoming a subsidiary of a larger company like AEG or Live Nation. For those times, I think that I'm dealing with my contact that I have known for years, but it is more like I'm dealing with a huge conglomerate making the rules of the road. One of the more worrisome new stipulations is the stop loss clause where your guarantee goes away if they do not sell enough tickets. When a band is covering all of the fees and their budget for crew and vehicle and gas and staff and promo and such is leading to a barely breaking even proposition One show getting canceled can turn a workable tour into a money pit. I get it that without clubs, there will be no place to play. But without gigs that the band can rely upon actually happening or getting paid for, there will also be no band as it is not like they can go work for three weeks in order to lose money. I had not heard of this stop loss clause before. This is a new thing and it sucks. And I think we should (laughs) refuse it. Another booking agent that books uh, a little bit bigger of a range from 250 to 3000 cap rooms said overall vibe is bullish. That's good. Bulls go up. Um, This fall has been lighter than historicals. I think this has to do with with um, oversaturation of shows going on. This is a common theme that we've been seeing. Too many shows happening. Everybody's hit the road. The indie promoters have really proven themselves during this time period. Nine times out of ten, the indie promoter will sell more tickets than a major promoter. The marketing departments with an indie versus a major promoter seems to be night and day this year. Festivals have to make offers smarter than ever. A record amount of festivals lost their asses last year and this year. Stay tuned on how this affects the landscape in 2023. Promoters, more than ever, really need to be making the right bet on who they host at their festival. I feel like music fans are less into checking out the band they haven't heard of. Pre-pandemic, I felt like the unknown band could book the, the right room on the right day of the week and play in front of a 100+. plus. But this isn't the case anymore. Fans are less willing to go out. Rooms of all sizes are back. Folks are coming out to all genres. If an artist has fans, those fans are coming out. All right, so let's take some big takeaways from all of this. Well, number one, right now the market is oversaturated. Uh, The makeup shows are happening currently, but everything's moving in a healthy direction. So once everyone kind of catches up and shows are spaced out a little bit more, it will give fans an opportunity to spend some more money on these smaller uh, to mid-level club shows, once the the touring bands kind of get on their normal regimen everyone is still rushing back I don't know about you but I just saw a makeup show last month believe it or not from a show that was booked for 2020 and uh, <laughs> get this which is perfect I actually bought the tickets twice because I didn't remember I bought the tickets it was to the Greek theater in LA I forgot I bought the tickets in 2020 and then I, I saw them they were like oh they're playing uh, the Greek theater I'd love to see them and I I bought tickets again, and only when I was walking up and, like, opened my Ticketmaster kind I'm like, wait, why do I have two tickets to this show? <laughs> That's a I I forgot. Um, so, you know, these makeup shows are still happening. But we're learning acts with diehard fans do sell tickets. Pop is selling. Pop music. So the big stars. Uh, not just if you play the genre of pop. We're talking about if you are a pop act with fans in the pop realm. Fans are buying much closer to the show. They're still buying in advance. Walk-up is down like we talked about. So at whereas, um, and I noticed this in LA, but I know LA is like an island compared to everywhere else in the country. But pre-pandemic, what I've experienced is uh, LA was vast majority walk-up, meaning no one in LA really bought in advance. A show that I just ran um, a week ago, actually, it was about eighty percent pre-sale and only twenty percent walk-up, and this is in LA. Um, but we're just seeing this across the board, says you know the booking agents and these music venues from rest around the country. Fan behavior has changed; they don't stay out as late. We have to keep that in perspective. Whereas shows pre-pandemic may have started at ten or eleven or something like that, and that was totally acceptable. It's not anymore. So if you have an option, I would recommend starting your shows a lot earlier. They want more social events, fewer chances, and people are taking fewer chances on unknown acts, more social events. All right, what are talent buyers looking for? So if you're going to be pitching a talent buyer, these are also known as bookers. These are the people that actually book the music at a club. Uh, you have to remember and and understand what they are looking for. Um, unfortunately, this is going to be a hard pill for you to swallow, but this is the reality, and I'm, gonna, I'm here to give you the hard truths. That is why, if you've been following me for a while, you know that's what I do. But I'm here giving you the hard truth. The hard truth is the vast majority of talent buyers don't really care as much about what you sound like. They want to know, can you bring people out? Can you get drinkers to buy drinks at their bar? Can you do that? Because if not, it doesn't matter how much they love your music if they go out of business. It is a business, after all. They might... Maybe you pitch them and they're like, you know what? You're my favorite band I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm gonna listen to you a bunch and I can't wait until you are ready to play my room. But if you can only sell three tickets, you're not ready to play my room if my room is a 500 capacity room. Because what like (laughs) uh, three people, I'm gonna go out of business that way. So just remember the most important thing that talent buyers care about is what is your ticket history? Can you sell tickets? And not like, oh, yeah, yes, I can. And you're confident. They want to see the history. That means like I sold 250 at the Echo. I sold 350 at the Varsity. I sold 400 in in September at the Poor House. I did 300. Like that is ticket history. Very important. They also want to know, let's say you've never toured. Okay, that's fine. There are bands that are breaking out on the internet every single day that have no tour history, no ticket history. No problem. What's your listenership on DSPs in their market? DSP stands for, uh, it's the catch all for Spotify, Apple Music, them, streaming services. What is your listenership on streaming services in their market? This episode is brought to you by the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Don't tune out! This is really important. If you're a songwriter based in the United States, you need to listen to this. If you've never heard of the MLC, well, it's time that you've heard of them. This is the organization that was set up by the Music Modernization Act, but in 2018, all of this nonsense you don't actually need to know. That's not important. What is important is that if you are a songwriter and you do not have a publishing company... You are not collecting all of your songwriter royalties, specifically your mechanical royalties. There are two kinds of songwriter royalties when your songs are streamed on Spotify, Apple Music, and the rest. Those are performance royalties, which are collected by your performing rights organization like an ASCAP or a BMI, and there are mechanical royalties. These royalties are now, by law, only collected by the MLC. So if you're not a member of the MLC, you're not getting these royalties. Unless you have a publisher. If you don't have a publishing company or an independent songwriter, you need to sign up for the MLC to get your mechanical royalties, and you need to sign up for, of course, a performing arts organization to get your performance royalties. So head on over to themlc.com and sign on up. Thank me later. If you can say, if you can go to a, a talent buyer in Denver, Colorado, and say, hey, I have 10... 1,000 monthly listeners in Denver. Here's my Spotify numbers. Here's my Apple Music numbers. And guess what? I have 2,000 email addresses in Denver. They're going to be like, oh, I'll absolutely book you in my 300-cap room. That sounds absolutely like you can, you can sell out my room. All right, mailing list numbers. Again, Like you can't really let your, fan, your listeners on Spotify know that you have a show in the market. Not yet. You can on Bands in Town. If you're not paying attention to Bands in Town, you really should be because you can ping everyone in every city in Bands in Town for free, mind you, letting them know that you have a, a, sh- a show in their market. Uh, so pay attention to Bands in Town. Um, but Spotify doesn't let you do that. Apple Music doesn't let you do that. Uh, Bandcamp does. If you're selling music on Bandcamp, hell yeah, you can let your fans know that you're playing, you're going on tour. Uh, Pandora does. I don't know how many uh, people are paying attention to Pandora, but you should be you can let your fans know uh, via a little audio uh, message for free on Pandora that you're playing the market. But Spotify and Apple Music, the two most dominant streaming services in the West, uh, do not let you contact your fans. So build your mailing list. And sure, Instagram is like, you know, the way that everyone is kind of interacting with uh, their fans and, and stuff these days. But like, We all know that Instagram can squash your posts whenever they damn well please. And they sometimes will be like, you know, shadow ban you or you'll post something. And normally you get 500 likes and today you get 50 likes. Why? Who knows? Instagram's having a bad day. Mailing list. Build that email list. Build that text message list. Talent buyers are also looking for complete bills, meaning... If you are pitching a 300 cap room and you can sell hundred tickets, go to them with two other bands that can also sell hundred tickets, meaning they have, they have ticket history. And if you go to them and say, hey, here's a three band bill, we each have sold hundred tickets within the last four months, I bet they will book you. And if you can then tell them how you're gonna promote the show and all the promo strategies that you're gonna do for it, they're gonna be like, wow, that's awesome, thank you. Okay, hell yeah. And this is probably the most important, Uh, You're spacing out your performances. If you play every Wednesday uh, at at, at a bar, why would a venue book you for a Friday? And If you play every Wednesday for free at a bar, and then you want to play a 300-cap club for $10 tickets on a Friday, they're not going to want to book you because your fans will be like, I'll just catch them on Wednesday for free. Why would I go to the big show? space out your shows that's really important if you if you are having a big show coming up don't play that city for at least six weeks before that big show okay six minimum two months is better three months is even better i understand like you need to be playing and everything but like if you oversaturate your city fans are just not going to come out and then your ticket history is going to be shit all right Let's talk the current club deals for small to mid-sized venues. All right, the best deal out there is still the guarantee versus, or plus actually, a percentage of sales. What does this mean? This means the deal could be like, all right, we're gonna guarantee, we're gonna give you a guarantee of $2,000 versus 80% of the door of ticket sales. So if the show makes... um if the show makes $4,000, well, you're going to get that percentage, that that versus, because 80% of $4,000 is higher than $2,000. Uh, who's good at math and wants to do crunch those numbers for me, but I know that 80% of $4,000 is higher than just a $2,000 guarantee. That's what it means. Some actually do it on top. Some will say like a guarantee plus 30% of ticket sales or something like that. So, These are great deals for artists because you know you're going to get the guarantee no matter what. Whether two people show up or 200 people show up, you're still going to get that guarantee unless there's that stop-loss clause in there, which I'd never seen before. So uh, you have to look out for that that clause as well in the agreements. Uh, But for the most part, most promoters and clubs are honoring the guarantee or the percentage. All right. Um, and Neil, I see you just sent me a private message. You might want to post that as a public message in the chat because um, I'm going to hold for questions until the end. Okay. Um, a great deal is um, door split from dollar one. So no guarantee, but you both are in it together. So you and the club are in it together. Um, so let's say it's $10 tickets. And you're going to say, all right, the artist gets 70%, the venue gets 30%. So if uh, 100 people come, $10 tickets, $1,000 made on the show, you get 700, the venue gets 300. Great. That's a great deal. That's super fair. That's awesome. Uh, You're both in it together. You get to keep your merch sales. Then you get to keep their bar sales. Win-win. Works just great. Hopefully you get to keep your merch sales. Some venues are taking a percentage of merch, which I fucking don't like. I don't care for that. I will argue to the death. I called out the Brooklyn Bowl and the Troubadour when they were like, yeah, you know, we do. It was like they felt bad because they're like, oh, we we don't want to. But it's kind of the club dictating this to us. A lot of big, big rooms take a percentage of merch sales. It sucks. It's stupid because the band's not getting a percentage of the bar. Why are you taking a percentage of their merch? Come on. It's absurd. All right, standard deal, expenses off the top, then the door split. This is standard. I see this a lot. Um that means okay, our expenses are $500, meaning, you know, we're going to have to hire a door person to take the tickets. We wouldn't normally do that if you weren't playing here tonight. We're going to have to hire a sound engineer to run the set for the night, and that's, you know, 200 bucks and the door person 100 bucks and then, you know, um staff and all that stuff. So let's say it's like a $500 expenses off the top and then the split. So it's like, all right, still doing a 70, 30 split, $10 tickets, sell a hundred tickets, thousand dollars comes in. They take off 500 and then they split 950 70, 30 with you after that standard deal. See that a bunch. Totally fair. A sneaky deal. Now, I only really see this in LA and New York. Um, and uh, it's starting to kind of maybe happen in Nashville and maybe some other places don't love it. Um, artists get paid only after a set number of people pay to see you not the band after you, not the band before you only you. Now I don't like this deal. Uh, a lot of venues in LA do this venues. That I love, uh, you know, but This is and they can do this because L.A. has an oversaturation of artists and, um, you know, people have this mentality in L.A. of hit it and quit it. So it's like I'm going to come for the band I'm here to see and then I'm going to leave. Now, it doesn't encourage artists to play shows together. It doesn't encourage to create a complete bill together. It doesn't encourage fans to come at the beginning and stay to the end. It's, um, you know, venues that do this. They are kind of clamoring and, and just be like, oh, well, it only, you know, uh, they, they have to only focus on each individual act and not looking at a full night as a whole, which I feel like if you focus on the full night as a whole, you would just be more successful all around. Uh, everyone's in it together. Now, what this actually means is usually there's someone with a tally sheet at the door. You walk up they're like it's $10 and then they ask you, who are you here to see? Or if you're selling tickets in advance, sometimes I've seen a little check mark. Who are you here to see? Which sucks because like sometimes I go out to show and be like, uh, I'm here for three of the bands that are playing tonight. And they're like, well, you have to pick one and that's who's getting paid. Which is like not cool. Like I'm just like, well, what the hell? Like, I guess it, or the option is is like, well, I guess what I have to pay like, I have to pay like $20. Uh, for and then both artists get paid, which is also kind of nuts because I can stay the whole night. So I don't really love this deal, but unfortunately, a lot of clubs in LA and, and New York are do this. But if you really crunch the numbers and think about it, it's like the venues may argue it's just like, well, if, if you know, um, oh, and here's what it means only after set number of people. So they usually say it's like, all right, it's you get paid zero dollars if 24 people come to see you, but you get 65% of the door. If 25 people come and see you, there's like this, this benchmark, this this like baseline there, which is also kind of shitty because it's like 24 people came to see me. They paid $10. The club now makes $240. 24 drinkers are in your bar and I make $0 on the night. Like, come on, that's, that is frustrating and kind of infuriating to be honest. Um, And but if 25 people come, oh, wow, cool. Now I now I get make 65 percent of the door and they'll be like, oh, well, we need to cover our expenses. It's like, yeah, but if you have five bands on that night and they all bring 24 people, you just made over a thousand dollars from ticket sales. And you've made you have 200 drinkers in your bar buying the bar, buying drinks. And every band just made zero dollars. Is that ethical? Do you think that's ethical? Well, it's just kind of how it is, which is kind of annoying. So uh, I would I would really argue that, you know, um, I would I would encourage these talent buyers uh, to rethink these kind of deals and how they work. Because, you know, it's tough. It's really tough for artists. I've been on the losing end of this deal a few times, and it, like, really hurts. It's like the pit in the stomach. And, uh, you know, the door guy who pays me at the end of the night will come up to me like, Sorry, you only had 24. Sometimes that threshold's like 35 or 50. I'm like, sorry, you only had 47 people here. I'm just like, wait, that's 47. They're like, yeah, but you need 50. Wait, so I'm getting $0 tonight? Yeah. Wait, so you get $470 and all the drink sales? Sorry. All right, bad deal. Not love with it. Uh, is the rental fee um, This is uh, You know the club might say Yeah you can rent us out for $2,000 And you get to then you know Charge you know run your own tickets Do whatever you want It it essentially says To you uh, It essentially says there's no um, We have no faith in your show We don't believe in you We don't think that you're going to bring anyone uh, We have no faith But if you want to pay us $2,000, you can rent the room out. You can charge whatever you want for tickets. Now, you may actually make a lot of money. If you promote the shit out of your show and it goes really well, then you actually might, you know, make more money this way. It, it actually could benefit you. And I know I, I've done this um, it and, and it can work. So you have to crunch the numbers. But now you put your promoter's hat on. It's like, how much do you want to be a promoter? You know, um, this is what promoters do. They rent out the room. They play the fat fee, um, you know pay the flat fee, and they rent the room out. All right, now the worst deal out there is the pay-to-play deal. Don't ever do this. Everybody listening, if there's one thing that you take away from this is never pay-to-play, okay? What does this mean? It's not just, so I've seen different variations of pay-to-play. Uh, the absolute worst is somebody hits you up and you're like, oh, you wanna play the club? All right, pay me 500 bucks, and uh, then I'm gonna give you 50 tickets to sell at $15, and so you can keep whatever's left over of that. Uh, that's super shitty. If you crunch those numbers, it's like you you have like the potential to make like maybe 20% of what you sell. But if you don't sell all 50, then you make like, you're losing a lot of money. Uh, I've also seen, uh, scammers out there. This is also why you never want to pay to play where they're like, Oh, you want to open for this huge artist at this big club, then me a thousand bucks and you can be the opener. Never ever do that because then the artist shows up at the club and guess what? They're not on the bill they got scammed don't ever do this festivals i've seen festivals do this you got to sell tickets and then you're going to get near the headliner no don't ever do that those festivals are shit shows i've written about this a bunch over the years uh never pay to play never buy tickets from somebody if a promoter comes to you a promoter comes to you and is like oh you want to play the viper room you want to play the whiskey or whatever because they're notorious these these rooms for pay to play they're like all right here's how it works uh, we're going to set up an event, bright, and, uh, you got to sell tickets to your set. And, uh, you know, you got to pay us actually 500 bucks, but then, you know, you can make whatever you sell and your tickets. Oh, and if you don't sell enough tickets, uh, you're gonna have to pay us more before we allow you to get on stage. Don't ever pay to play. Okay. How to get opening slots for touring artists. So let me, let me go through this with you. I'm going to actually share my screen. Um, well, I don't need to share my screen for this one. Um, so if you can go to any, any venues website and look at their calendar and you can see, all right, which of the shows that they have coming up are not sold out now, which also don't have openers. And so as you can kind of see here, can you see this? Yeah. All right. So like, you know, you go down the calendar and you're like, all right, let's just see. Let's see about this show, this melt show on November 11th. All right. Uh, Doesn't look like there's an opener. Okay. So um, now what do you do? Well, you can actually just contact. um, Let me show you. I actually wrote a little sample email here. So you email the uh, talent buyer of that club and something simple like this. Hey, Jordan, do you need support for Melt November 11th? So look, at this is the subject line. Melt. November 11th opener. To the point. You need support for Melt November 11th. I managed Pink Shoes and I think this would be a great fit. We recently did, member ticket history, 215 at the Echo, 175 at the Hotel Cafe, 150 at Golders. Link. Here's two live videos right there. Give some accolades, what's kind of buzzy in the industry, whatever you want to put here. Here's a link to some more stuff, your your press kit, your EPK, whatever you kind of your one sheet here. We'll say, we'll make sure to go out, all out with promo, make sure our crowd gets out for this. That's great. The talent buyer can take this and be like, wow, okay, they're good for like almost 200 tickets. Uh, if the show isn't selling well, if it's like a 500-cap venue and they've only sold 200 tickets, hell yeah, they need a, a buffer to put 200 more on there. So they'll probably do it for you. Now, how do you get opening slots for touring bands, that's how to get it at a one, one single show and one single club night, which I would encourage everybody to do. All right, how to get opening slots for touring bands? Well, uh, email the uh, the band directly. You can find their contact information typically on their website or their booking agent. You can just Google it. For, you can find it. It's super easy to find contact information to bands or their manager, someone. You say, hey, Tony, we're big fans of Melt. Caught them last time they came through Minneapolis at the Varsity Theater. Do you need support for this tour? We have some good numbers in the markets you're visiting and would love to join them for this run and make sure it's a huge success. Here's our ticket history. So you show what you can sell in the markets that they're visiting. Again, if they only have 50, 100, 200 tickets sold in Denver, they're like, wow, we could actually really use an additional 50. That would be really helpful. You link to your, your videos um, and you do some accolades, same kind of thing. Let me know. And then follow up. Don't forget to follow up. That's super, super, super important. Uh, Just because they didn't get back to you, they might be super busy or they might have the flu or whatever. Follow up. I I would encourage you to follow up every week. All right. How do you get a booking agent when you're ready? Well, number one, it's only when you're ready. Because what do booking agents care about? They're running a business. Will you make them money this year? If you are not good for many tickets, it's going to be really, really hard to convince a booking agent to work with you unless they really, 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 really believe in you and are making so much money from their other artists that they have so much money to spare that they now can actually devote the time to kind of work with a baby band, which is a hard sell. So if you have that ticket history, they're like, oh, I can grow with this. So when are you ready? Well, ticket history, I would say, here's a benchmark. Now, this can vary, but I would say you can draw 400 people locally, 108 plus markets. If you can do that, you can pretty much email any booking agent in the country, let them know this, and they will take you seriously. If you can't do this, well, keep pushing on your own until you can. All right, seven steps to sell out your next show. Number one, spread out your shows. We already talked about this. If you play every day, every week, no one's going to come. Number two, Create a show poster. This makes it legit. This makes it like it's an event. Actually get something designed that you can post. Create show videos for all platforms. So whether you're doing TikTok or Instagram, um, YouTube, all of this, make show videos that you can post, you know, bunch of stories, like all the bands that are playing, like make it really exciting. It shows that this is an event that people want to get out to. It's not just like a Tuesday night, you know, five band bill. They're like, oh, whatever. I'll just get the next one. Make this a legitimate show. Guess what? We are in an internet era. Street teams, all that more important. Uh, there are still physical posters. I stand by these. Put around town in highly populated area of people who will go to see live music. Get those posters up. Put a QR code on them. Include other buzzing bands. We've already gone over this with Ticket History. If you can sell 100, but the other band can sell 100, the other band can sell a 100. Guess what? You're good for 300 tickets. Now, all the fans are coming out for this big show. So instead of playing to 100 people, you're not playing to 300 people. Number six, contact local media. Get a sponsor. Uh, this is a great way to partner up. I like calling them partners. Uh, you know, whether you have like a locals show, a local radio show, they want to partner up, give away some tickets, something like that. And number seven, just like we talked about, make it an event, an actual event. So, um, what does this mean? It's not just a show. Now, I can show you kind of like what I've done with an event. I'll talk a little bit about uh, Brassroots District, my project, and and kind of the events that we run. Uh, These are true events. So, um, here I'm gonna pull up a little uh, thing here, and what is what is Brassroots District, and kind of how have we done this? This is a we run an immersive. Concert theatrical funk soul experience. So that's a lot of words. Everybody dresses up. It's 1973. Uh, we have a script. We have a storyline. It's all original music. I wrote the music. Uh, we did. We put this up for the first time last summer. It was outside because it was still COVID era. It was in a parking lot. We did 16 shows. I'm like, oh, wait, you, are you just said spread out your shows. Yes, but this was like a run. And this and we we capped capacities to make sure that we'd sell it out. Uh, we capped it at 100 Tickets a show and there was waiting list, and people were like, oh, my gosh, I need to get this. And it just kind of spread. It's almost like a residency. If you make it an event, everybody came dressed up. We had like storyline. We had dancers uh, or we taught dances. These are not dancers. These are the attendees that learned the dance to one of our songs. People would dress up. They love to take photos with all of the stuff that we had. Um, so it was a really fun experience and uh if you can turn your stuff into an event that would be awesome all right another one i want to talk about is uh the sweat gala here and um this is by the artist um annabelle lee i'll just tell you about it uh here we go so it was a red carpet event it was in a club um and you know as you can see uh there's uh people dressed up this is formal they they call it a she called it a grunge prom there was a tattoo artist there was a portrait station where people would make portraits of each other and then hang them up here there was a self help time machine where people could kind of go in and write letters to their future selves and then she would mail them the letters she's going to mail them the letters in a year which is kind of badass uh there was a a blank canvas and then people could just kind of co-contribute to the painting that night there was an art auction she's also an artist there's an art auction here uh, it was also a music video premiere, so like, come up with an event. Like, what is the event? This is uh, she presented some awards to the the director. So, like, how are you going to make? Oh, and by the way, it was a rock show, <laughs> and you know, pull performed a full a full concert. So, like, how are you going to make your show an event? And that's what you need to think about down to the set list that she called the sweat list remember this called the sweat gala and that was the on the far right you can see what the final painting looked like that everybody made that night it's pretty fucking cool oh yeah and the bar made the most bar sales they'd ever made that night uh the club they actually printed out the receipt and was like uh this is the best night we've ever had and uh, we made more money on this than ever Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brass District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. Real quick, I want to let you know about TuneCore. Well, I'm sure you already know about TuneCore, but you might not know that TuneCore recently, over the last couple of years, has changed a lot of its platform for the better. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been talking and reviewing TuneCore uh, for the last, gosh 10 12 years or so and this is the biggest update to Tooncore that they have ever done and this is a great move from TuneCore what they've done is they've moved to an unlimited pricing plan so where we're at kind of in the current stage of release strategy and recommended practices for how to release your music yeah you gotta be releasing more music more frequently than just dropping an album once every three years so to uh, accommodate this they're now have an unlimited pricing tier which means you can distribute unlimited music for an annual price they have also integrated splits payment splitting so so whether you want to cut your cutting your producer or other collaborators, maybe some session musicians, you want to cut them into some of your streaming revenue, you can do that very easily on the TuneCore platform. And another thing that I love about TuneCore is their publishing program. They have TuneCore admin publishing. So, you know, I've talked a lot about this on the article on the distribution comparison chart on Ari's take, but I wanted to let you know about these new initiatives that TuneCore is up to and everything that TuneCore is doing. Head over to TuneCore.com, check it out for yourself, sign up for a program, distribute some of your music, and you'll see for yourself.